Welcome listeners. Today is Thursday, April 5th. Got a a decent-sized show for you today. I had a chance to talk to Dave Alciator, or Dr. Dave, as everyone knows him. Uh, Dave is involved with a number of things, the biggest being the Billiard University in Colorado. And the reason for our conversation this week was a challenge they are running where you can win a portion of $4,000 in prize money. But it was a very interesting conversation. Uh, Other than that, I also had a chance to talk to Mark Griffin. Uh, We talked about the recently completed U.S. Open bank pool and U.S. Open one-pocket events, along with Fargo and some scheduling changes for some of their events. Uh, Again, I thought it was an interesting conversation. Before we get to those, though, we do have uh, some tournament results. We talked last week about the Interpool Open. Uh, Results are in from that. Joshua Filler, the young player who made such a splash in last year's Moscone Cup, beat Thomas Larson in the finals of the nine-ball event. And there was also a 16-player ten-ball event where the real top players competed. And surprisingly, again, Joshua Filler beat Thomas Larson in the finals. The other big, big event was the Chinese Pool World Championship. Uh, Yu Bo Zheng defeated Chris Melling 21-19 to in the finals of the men's division. And Han Yu defeated Sha Sha Lu 17-14 in the finals of the ladies division. In other news... Uh, Matchroom has been releasing information about the teams for the upcoming World Cup of Pool. They're doing it slowly over a couple of days on their Facebook page. If you go to Facebook and do a search for World Cup of Pool, you'll find it. Um, They are announcing three or four teams a day. Some of the teams that jumped out at me were, of course, Shane Van Boning and Skylar Woodward from the USA. Uh, the aforementioned Joshua Filler and Ralph Souquet from Germany, and John Mora and Alex Pagulian from Canada. Those were three teams that really jumped out at me as uh, probably early favorites. I would think if I could have those three teams and probably the two teams from China, I'd, I'd be feeling pretty good with myself. But enough of that. Let's get to the conversations this week. First off, I had a chance to talk to Dr. Dave Alciator. I'm joined now by Dr. Dave Alciator, uh, although everyone everyone knows you as Dr. Dave, right? That's correct. Dave is, well, Dave's involved in a lot, so maybe it'd be better if, if you explain some of the things that you're involved with, because I'm sure I don't know of all of them. Sure. Well, I'm an instructional author first. You know, I wrote a book, The Illustrated Principles of Pool and Billiards, in 2004. And I've, I've uh, you know, authored numerous uh, instructional DVDs over the years with several co-authors, including Tom Ross and Bob Jewett and Randy Russell. And I also am an instructional columnist for Billiards Digest, write a monthly article for them also since uh, 2004. And I'm very active on the AC Billiards Forum, which you're part of. And I just wanted to give a thanks to you for providing that service to the pool community. You know, I and many others really value that, especially the forum where many of us have made good friends over the years. So thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. All right. 
Uh, I'm also a dean of the Billiard University, uh, which is at billiarduniversity.org, which we're going to talk about some later, it sounds like. Yes. And um, I also have a popular website. Uh, it's billiards.colostate.edu. Uh, that contains lots of free resources for you know, getting instruction with pool and learning about the technical aspects of the game. And it has all my articles and thousands of videos uh, demonstrating all sorts of techniques and shots. And the list goes on and on. It's a very large site with lots of resources. And we can talk about that a little more later if we'd like as well. I'm really interested in some of the high-speed video work that you've done over there. How long have you been doing that? I actually started doing the high-speed video work many years ago at my university. Uh, for my day job, I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineering professor at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. And we study uh, motion of machines um, in one course that I teach. And we often use the camera to visualize things that were too fast to see with the naked eye. And I thought this would be cool to do at the pool table. So, you know, my early years when I was writing my book and when I first created my website, the billiards.colo state, I, I started posting a lot of clips of billiard shots using, uh, using our fancy camera. It's actually not very fancy by today's standards because you can, you can get pretty good slow motion video with, with the smartphone nowadays. But back then it was pretty, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty interesting stuff. People hadn't seen it before. So uh, yeah, it was very helpful to me to visualize shots where I, that I had trouble understanding when I was working on my book or when, you know, when people were discussing things online, they get easy, easy billiards or whatever. So the, uh, uh, I think that's what kind of, you know, uh, made me a little famous early on that I was posting these, these high-speed clips, super, super slow motion video that let people visualize things that they had trouble seeing in the past. So uh, that is something that, uh, you know, kind of got me started, but Nowadays, almost anybody can do these videos themselves with fairly inexpensive equipment, even their smartphones. And in your book, I mean, what I realize you're a professor, so that keeps you obviously very busy, but you had the time to write a book. What prompted you to do that? Well, that's a long story, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, basically, uh, you know, many years ago, I, I did a sabbatical in Washington, D.C. I spent a whole year out there. And my wife at the time had just taken a new job and couldn't come with me. So I was out in D.C. by myself. and I joined a pool league out there, and there were some great players in the league. And they were just, I was just inspired by them. You know, I wasn't such a great player back then. And, but I wanted, to get, I wanted to get much better. So I would constantly talk to these people. I would take notes every night when I saw interesting shots. I started reading every book and video I could find. And in that process, you know, reading some of the books that were available at the time, I was a little disappointed at, the, at some of the quality. You know, the, the illustrations weren't accurate. They weren't describing things properly physically. They would say things that were wrong at times. And then I just started thinking back then, well, I should, I should think about writing a book one day. I, you know, I, I'm learning a lot of stuff, and I should share that with other people. So that's how it kind of started. And concerning where did I have time to write a book, well, you know, uh, uh, throughout much of my career at Colorado State, I, I, I've done a lot of research in the past, but I started to do less and less research, and I started spending my summers on other things, like consulting projects. And then, so one summer I decided I'm going to work on and start working on the pool book this summer. So uh, that's one freedom we have as, you know, as, as teachers and professors. We have summers for some flexibility. We can do work on other projects or take other jobs. So I've done most of my, my, my authoring work 
on the book and, and DVDs in, in my summers and, you know, have some time during the year to, you know, to work on that as well. But most of the work's done in the, in the summers when I'm not teaching. Okay, so you started using using billiards to show some of the concepts that you were teaching about, and from there you went on to a book. And then I assume from there that's where you branched out to instructional videos. Uh, you went from the Colorado State website, which was the first time that I had, had uh, well, to be honest, the first I had heard of, of what you were doing, uh, then you went on mm-hmm. to Dr. Dave Billiards. Was that just a site that you put together to market your products? Yes. I, uh, you know, originally I only had the billiards.colostate.edu site. And then, you know, when I came out with the book, and that was sold by Barnes & Noble as the publisher through Sterling Publishing. So they, they, they sold that themselves. I didn't have to deal with that. But when I started deciding to come out with videos, I, you know, I had to sell them somewhere. And I didn't have, you know, a lot of... Uh, credentials or name recognition at the time so i decided to sell it myself so that's why i created my own .com website that's drdavebilliards.com where i could sell my you know all of my products originally just the book and the, the companion dvd that went with the book but now i have many more dvds that are all all for sale on the, on that website so i have the the .edu billiards.colostate website with all the free resources i have the billiardsuniversity.org which we'll talk more about later, and I have the drdavebillards.com where I where I where I have my uh, instructional products for sale. You mentioned that the mechanical engineering work that you do in uh, as a professor, um, you you were using billiards to explain some of those concepts. Um, how were your How were your students responding to that? Well, initially, you know, I mentioned the high-speed video work that I did for my mechanical engineering students, and I started filming pool shots with that. And sometimes I would show that to my mechanical engineering students also because it would help them visualize certain types of motions that we were talking about related to machines. Um, I also, in my early years, started doing, you know, physics analyses applied to pool, you know, trying to come up with useful principles that could help make people play better, you know, all derived from math and physics. And I call these my technical proofs. And my, in my early website, that's all I really had was the high-speed video footage and these technical proofs of, of math and physics derivations of concepts at the table. So, um, and those technical proofs I often used in classes where, where we were talking about physics applied to mechanical engineering devices because everybody can relate to pool and understand it. And they, they've either played it or seen it in the past. So I would often use those pool examples to help them understand some of the complex physics, physics concepts we were talking about in class. So I've had lots of connections between my mechanical engineering work and my, my instructional billiards work over the years. Something that I find really fascinating about your work is there are a lot of professional instructors out there, and everyone's teaching mostly the same concepts. It just comes down to how it's being taught, but... So much of pool is based on feel. I mean, there isn't really a textbook that says you hit a cue ball with a half a tip of English high right and you hit it at a 45 uh, on a speed scale of 0 to 100. There aren't hard set rules. So the idea of looking at pool scientifically is really something new. 
Um, I mean, what kind of a reaction have you gotten from from people in the industry when they've uh, had a chance to look at some of the stuff you've done over the years? Well, I think it's fair to say that uh, not many people do look at that stuff, <laughs> right? From math <laughs> and physics, because it requires it requires a lot of education, and you know, and, and uh, you know, there are a few people out there that I communicate with, you know, frequently that that do value that stuff and appreciate it. But honestly, most pool players do not appreciate that stuff, <laughs> understandably, understandably. But some of that uh, some of that math and physics has allowed me to come up with things that are very useful to pool players. A good example is my 30-degree rule, right? You know, I use my uh, a peace sign to visualize the direction the cue ball will head uh, for a rolling ball shot. Now, uh, before I came up with that, I did a lot of math and physics, and I didn't know where it was going to lead. But at the end of it all, you know, I, I, I saw this trend or this pattern that, oh, you can use this 30-degree angle to visualize a lot of useful stuff at the table. And then I kind of came up with the peace sign, found out that most people's peace sign, when they form a peace sign with their index finger and middle finger, it's very close to 30 degrees, and, and so I came up with these techniques that people do relate to and really enjoy, and, and many other people teach this now, and it all came from the math and physics, Mike. So you know, even though people don't value that math and physics, uh, it has allowed me to come up with things that you know, I would not have otherwise. So. so in addition to the book, you've got, you have how many DVDs? I have... Uh, uh, 31 individual DVDs. You know, I have several. I have four different five DVD sets that are part of the video encyclopedia series. I have a DVD that's a companion to my original book, The Illustrated Principles. I have uh, a couple of three DVD sets dealing with how to aim pull shots and the Billiard University instructional series. And I have a few other individual uh, products, discs. But uh, it's quite a lot in total. But I think my most popular one is the Video Encyclopedia of Pool Shots. It's a five DVD set that basically covers everything possible at the pool table. It sounds like there's much more than just instructional content here. Um, who would be who would be your target audience? I mean, who would be the pool player who would say, you know what, that's that's something that I think I need to improve my game? Well, I think you know I have the different products I have. They cater to different people. You know, I think uh, everybody enjoys uh, the video encyclopedia of pool shots because it's just cool to watch. It shows it shows everything possible at the table, and it's kind of inspiring sometimes. And and I think everybody would learn something a shot they haven't seen before. You know, except someone a very seasoned player that's seen everything already. They might not they might not see anything new, but I think most people enjoy that. Uh, someone that has trouble with aiming shots. You know, just regular cut shots and other types of shots. You know, they would benefit more from my how to aim pool shot series. You know, somebody that wants to focus on fundamentals and drills, I uh, have the Billy University series and the Video Encyclopedia of Pool Shots, which covers uh, drills for every skill, every type of shot uh, possible. So, that, you know, if you want to work on one thing, we have a set of five drills or something that'll teach you how to develop a good draw shot. Or you want to have drills and banks, we have those too. That's all on the Video Encyclopedia Pool Practice. So the different products cater to different, you know, different needs and different, different uh, skill level. And besides the book and the DVDs, do you do one-on-one uh, -on -one instructional or do you do group instruction stuff? Yes, I do. I do teach uh, some through my Dr. Dave, you know, billiards.com site. I have, a, I have a page called Dr. Dave's Pool School, and I do offer private instruction through that. 
I don't I don't really advertise that a lot. I, I, I basically, you know, teach people when they come when they want to come see me, but I don't like I don't have a lot of time for teaching individual lessons. So I do it mostly in the summer when I have more time. But I do some lessons throughout the year when people want to come come and see me. And you're what area of Colorado? I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is about an hour north of Denver. Most of the teaching I do is through the Billiard University, where we offer summer school boot camp intensive weekends. We usually do it in July. We have an overview course and we have an advanced course. Each course is, is three days of intensive training and where we do video analysis. We, uh, you know, we work with individuals. We do some teaching in the group. Uh, we work on drills. We figure out what people need to, to move to improve their game, we work with people individually and give them a, a path and plan to go forward to really bring their game to the next level. So that's where I do most of my, my teaching is through this, these boot camps that we offer in the, in the summers. I work really hard to prepare those, and you know we have those three consecutive weekends uh, there in July this year. And we usually have uh, 12 students in each course. We limit it to 12. And we have three instructors. I work with Sam Dieppe. Some people may know her. She's the wife of Mark Vidal, who's a, who's a pro player. Uh, they live in Denver. And... The person I started the Bill University with, Randy Russell, he's an instructor in Canada. He comes down every year, and we, we teach those boot camps together, the three of us. And that's a fun experience, and all of our students usually leave, leave pretty happy. So that's where I do most of my teaching, through our Bill University summer school boot camps. And, and can you elaborate on the Billiard University, how that got started, and, and what all is involved with that? Sure. Uh, many years ago, Randy Russell actually came to me for a, for a week-long private lesson, and I had just come up with uh, the video encyclopedia of pull shots with Bob Jewett, where we had drills for every skill and shot you know, at the pool table. And all those drills are, are scored. And so Randy actually had the idea, why don't you put together an exam that tests playing ability, where you just put together different drills uh, for different skills and have them all be scored, and then um, and create exams that test uh, a person's you know level of, of playing and, and also assesses a person's skills and identifies weaknesses, all scored and all you know all quantitative and you know designed well and, and uh, organized and and then we started brainstorming and he said well why don't we uh, why don't we do these skills exams and then allow people to actually seek a diploma, get to get a bachelor's a master's or doctorate in pool. And then we started thinking, let's do a whole university theme where we have exams, we have diplomas, we do summer school boot camps. And that, that's how it all started. We just brainstormed, thinking we have all these great drills from the Video Encyclopedia of Pool Practice, and they're all scored and carefully designed. And so we just decided to start putting those together to create these exams. Uh, and we offer diplomas, and we teach these boot camps. And that's, that's what the Billiard University is all about. What kind of pushback have you gotten from players when it comes to the scoring system? Because I'm, I'm thinking most players out there, while it would be good for their game to know what their weaknesses are, I'm not sure how some players would take the idea of being told what their rating is or, or uh, their, their exam score, you know, where they fall. Yeah, that, there is a lot of controversy around that when we first came out with this, and we did this before the Fargo rate system was, was available, which, which, is, which I think is the best way to go in terms of rating players because it's based on actual performance data. Um, but our, our playing ability exams, 
they, uh, I think they're more important to be used as an assessment tool. Uh, like when I teach a new student or at our boot camps, we use the exams, especially the first exam, to assess where a player is, just to get an initial assessment and to identify weaknesses and strengths in different areas. And another great thing about the scoring system is that uh, you can track your performance over time. So if the first time you take the exam, you get a really low score in one area, you can work on that area and see if you can improve your score over time. So it's a good relative measure of you know, the state of your game. And I think the exams are also just a good, they're just a good pool workout. You know, we design them carefully to test and give you experience with every type of shot that's important to be a good pool player. So working through these exams gives you a good, a good workout, and it's kind of it's fun because it's scored, and you can kind of, you know, you always want to try to beat your score, a little competitive feature there. And to me, when I, when I do the exams, I always have my camera running because if I, you know, get a good, uh, a good run at the exam, I usually post the video online. And to me, it's, you know, it adds a little pressure. I have the camera running. I'm trying to beat my past score, and it's just, it's just fun for me and other people that, that use the exams for that purpose as well. Now, we do have a rating system. You, know, and you, you can take your exam scores and look up on these tables, and we, we categorize you. you know, we give you titles for what type of player you are, and, uh, and, and those scores are what determine what type of pool diploma you achieve if you decide to you know, get one of our diplomas. And we also relate our, our rating scores to other systems like the, like the Arizona system and the, the APA and BCA and VNEA handicapping systems and even Fargo rate. So we have a, a great table on our website that kind of gives a correlation between all these different rating systems that are out there. Well, that in itself would be valuable, it seems to me. Yeah, but it all anything like that has to be taken with a grain of salt because, you know, like league handicaps – they're so de- they're so dependent on the on the competition level in the in, in the league and in, in the region the country you're in. So those you know those aren't always very precise. You know when you're comparing people internationally or or nationally or regionally. But uh, the Fargo rate system is seems to be the way to go, and I, I hope that that it, that uh, that becomes more widespread over time. And I hope all the league systems buy into it at some point, because that's the only way to truly you know, get a relative measure of how you play compared to everyone else in different leagues and around the world. Well, you've been around this game long enough to know that different entities within the game usually don't like to work together on things like that. Exactly. So what what jumped out and what got my attention for this interview is the post that you had made on the forums about this uh, this $4,000 challenge. Can you can you tell us about that? Yes, it's a Billiard University uh, exam challenge. You know, we have we have three different exams. We have exam one, which tests fundamentals. It tests uh, things like you know aiming, speed control, cue ball control, uh, stop, follow, draw, and stun control. All the, all the critical skills you need to be a to be a good pool, pool player. That's exam one. We also have exam two. There's three different versions of that. There's bachelor's, master's, and doctorate. And that exam is a more applied exam. It has run-out patterns you have to run out. Uh, it has drills that test, you know, sophisticated cue ball control. It tests things like kicking and banking and, and jumping and breaking. It tests all the higher-level skills that you need to really excel. So for this challenge, you know, we've had challenges in the past where we, we offered money for all the exams and we offered different categories from pro level to amateur. But this time we wanted to offer a challenge just for exam one, just to have one category so we could offer the most money 
and we're offering four thousand dollars total. Um, the top prize is twenty five hundred, so we thought that'd be good incentive to inspire maybe some top level players to to participate, maybe some pros. We have had some pros participate in our past contests, and one nice thing on our if you go to our, our challenge page or the Build University website, you can look at uh, past videos of, of people that have done the exam online in, in our past challenges and just just for fun, or people that have gotten our diplomas, their videos are online as well. And we have some top players that have run through the exams. So if you've never seen the, the BU exams before, a good first thing to do is just to go to our challenge page or our website, billiarduniversity.org, and click on some past videos. Like we have Shane Van Boning up there running through the exam, uh, Mark Gray, a top a European pro, uh, Mark Vidal, a pro down in Denver, and lots of other great players. And one reason why we offered this challenge, one is to inspire some top players to try the exams because it's fun to see top players trying to excel at these, these skill tests. Uh, also, we wanted to push and see if people could get the highest score possible. Uh, all of our exams have a maximum score of, of 100, which is kind of fun. You know, we try to make everything have a university theme. So if you take a test, the most you can get is 100. <laughs> that applies to our exams as well. So the highest score we've ever gotten in the past is a 95 on exam one. It was by um, Tobias Bongers, a young pro in Germany. He actually won our first challenge a couple of years ago. And he was able to achieve 95 after a lot of hard work. But even some pros like Shane's score is not that high. You know, his, his score after a couple of attempts was, was in the 80s. I can't remember the exact number, I think 82 or 84, something like that. So it's not easy, even for a pro, to excel at these exams on a first attempt. I mean, they, they require dedicated practice to master all these skills and to be able to reproduce them, you know, consistently during an entire exam run. You know, these top players can do these things when they need it in the game, but they can't always do it as, as well as we demand on the exam to get to get good scores. So again, that's the main goal. We we offer these we offer these challenges periodically. This one is the most money we've offered, four thousand dollars. We want to inspire some great players to enter. We're keeping it simple. We just have exam one. Uh, anybody can enter. It doesn't cost anything to enter. Uh, the contest is open open through the end of July twenty eighteen. Uh, that's all you have to do is take a video of yourself running through the exam and post that video online. That's all it takes to enter. And everything you need to do this, uh, we have on, on the website, the Billiards, Billiard University. It's uh, billiarduniversity.org. We have the exam document that has the diagrams and instructions. We have score sheets. We have video demonstrations that walk you through how to do it. As I mentioned, we have examples of some top players running through the exam to see how they, uh, what approach they take on certain shots. It's kind of fun to see what they do. And again, it's all, it's all for free on the website. So we're just uh, hoping people will use these resources to get inspired and maybe win some money in the process. And, and we want to see 100. We want to see 100. So we, gotta, you know, we want to see some, some top players that, uh, that are good with this kind of thing. You know, like names that come to mind are like Darren Appleton, uh, Neil Spion. Uh, Torsten Holman. These are some players that I think really have a chance of getting that hundred, and I would love to see it. And I'm sure other people would like to see it too. So, if you know some pros out there, please encourage them to enter this challenge. And they can win the, the, some money. The top prize is 2,500. We have 4,000 dollars total. So I'm hoping this is enough to to let us see some top players pushing the limits on this exam and trying to get the maximum score possible. I find it interesting. You mentioned that Shane had taken the the first exam, which that's basically fundamentals, correct? Yes. You would think that 
a player of his caliber would have some of the best fundamentals in the game. I find it interesting how he didn't score as high as other players that we don't recognize their names. Yes. Well, you know, on these exam challenges, you know, we we made them very challenging. You know, to um, you know, we require a lot more precision than might be required to you know to run out a, a rack of nine ball. Like we require you draw the ball back to with a fairly good precision. Uh, you know, and we require that you uh, you hit these cue ball control shots where you have to leave the cue ball in a very small area. You know, much smaller than you need in a typical runout in a typical game. So many top players are great at running out and winning matches. But uh, you know, we ask for more. We want to see we want to see excellence beyond what you need to be a top player. And the only way to you know to get good with that is you have to practice. You know, these, and and some, sometimes practicing the exam you know lets you get higher scores in the exam. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough to play well you know in game situations. But you know if you want to get the precision and accuracy and consistency that we demand in these exams, you have to practice these exams. And you know and kind of excel at the exam itself. So now when Shane first took it, the very first attempt he did, he got uh, he got a score in the in the 70s or so, low 70s. And he was disappointed. He says, I want to do it again. <laughs> and, and so I immediately ran him through it one more time. And he was very focused and he improved his score in like 10 to 15 points on the second attempt. So you might think, well, he's one of the top players in the world. Why didn't he get a super high score the first time? Well, some part of it is just experience. You know, like uh, you, ha- you hadn't seen this exam before. Um, some of the position control shots, you know, they were they depend on the conditions of the table. You know, how much English you use it depends on the speed of the table, and so on. So if you try this exam for the first time on an unfamiliar table, like you did, you know, he was off on his position position control a couple times. It was probably good enough to win a game if he's if he's doing a run out, but it wasn't good enough, you know, to get the points on the exam. So the second time he tried it, he had a better feel for the speed of the table. Uh, he knew how much English, how much English the rails took, and he did much better. So, I mean, to do to get a really high score in the exams, you have to be very in tune with your equipment. You have to be well practiced, and you have to have excellence. You have to be very accurate and very consistent. So that's why even a top player can be challenged by by these exams. When I think about the the entirety of everything that you've put together from the beginning when you were doing the videos, you know, all the way up to this challenge, it strikes me that you you have a lot of ideas that come to mind and different than some people, you, you accomplish those things. You know, I've heard a lot of times you've said, you know, well, we thought about doing such and such. You know, a lot of people think about doing something, and not just in pool. You know, you think about doing something, and that's as far as it goes. But I, I don't see that from you. I see, I, I think this might be fun, and I do it. So it leads me to believe that maybe you've got something else that you've thought about. I mean, what's what's next? Well, first, thank you, Mike, and I appreciate uh, you know what you just said. I, I do work hard, and I I do have a passion for the game, and that that that's what drives everything, right? For all of us, you have to have a passion. You know, you have you had a passion to create AZ Billiards and really do a good job with it. And that's why we have this great resource. You know, I've had the passion to be a good teacher in my for my for my mechanical engineering students and to and to work hard on my on my instructional pool stuff. So now, one thing I I, I plan to do in the future 
is, you know, as you mentioned before, my day job can be demanding and it takes a lot of time. And so I'm limited by what I can do uh, mostly in the summers. But I've actually been teaching now for at the university for 26 or 27 years. And I'm actually planning to retire from the university uh, in December of 2019. Um, so I've already made that decision. And, and at that point, you know, my entire focus is going to be on, on, on billiards and my, uh, my drdavebilliards.com, my billiardsuniversity.org, and my you know, billiards.colostate.edu. I just want to do a lot more in terms of uh, new instructional products. Uh, I want to you know, improve my websites. Maybe want to you know, get some uh, international translations of some of my products. Um, you know, want to do more with the Billiard University, maybe offer more of the boot camp type experiences. I don't have a lot of plans beyond that other than I know I'm going to have a lot more time. <laughs> so when I think of something... And want to dedicate time to it, I'll have the time available, which I don't always have now during the school year when I'm working hard for my mechanical engineering students. Well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like uh, there'll be stuff to look forward to. Uh, you say you'll have more time, and and we all know that we could use that when it comes to you know different things that come to mind in the pool world. There's things I'd love to build online, but just finding the time to do it, I I don't know how, but. Uh, I will post the URLs to all three of your sites, the edu, the drdavebilliards.com, and the billiarduniversity.org. I'll have uh, those URLs in the notes for the show. And Dave, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time with us and going over some of the stuff that you've put together. Um, can we get back together? Maybe you said your, uh, your contest runs until the end of July. Can we get back together maybe in August and, and see how the whole thing went? I'd be happy to, Mike. And uh, I wanted to thank you for, for your time as well. I, I've enjoyed this. And um, just want to give a final reminder to anyone that thinks they might want to enter or encourage other people to enter. And they can follow the link you're going to post, the billuniversity.org, and click on our challenge. Look at some past videos and, and consider entering yourself. There's uh, people, even I think even some amateurs, if they dedicate enough time to the exam, they have a chance to place and even be competitive with the top pros if they're willing to put in the time and effort. It sounds great. And and you've got four months to, to put this together and have a chance to, you know, like we had talked about with Shane, and get comfortable on a table and see how the exam goes. And, and I think it should be real interesting to see what you've got by the end of the contest. I'm looking forward to it also. And it also has inspired me to work really hard because whenever I decide to try to beat my PR in exams and I work hard for a week on the exams, it definitely raises my game. And I feel much sharper when I'm playing in league and in other competition. So I think other people will experience that as well. If you work hard, it's going to make you better. Outstanding. All right, Dave, I won't take up any more of your time today. I'll let you get back to class. But uh, again, I appreciate your time and we will talk to you again uh, after your contest is over. You're welcome, Mike, and thank you. It was a pleasure. That was the conversation with Dr. Dave. Uh, like I mentioned in that interview, you'll find links to all three of his websites in the, the notes attached on our website. Let's move on to the conversation with Mark Griffin. Here you go. Okay, I'm joined now by Mark Griffin from BCA Pool Leagues, Q Sports International, pool room owner, tournament director, what else do you do that we don't know about? Oh, you forgot USA Pool League. Oh, yeah. 
Well, that doesn't. That's not real big here in Arizona. So sometimes I forget it. Well, it's it, it's 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 growing all the time. I still think it's a it's it's a really really well designed pool league. And uh, and then you also forgot Fargo. We're such a we're we're knee deep in in Fargo Fargo rate. I because I, I I still think that's the future of pool. I've been saying that for about four years, but most for two of those years, nobody knew what I was talking about. So. How's the acceptance of of that across the country? I know what it's like here in Arizona, but you know what's how are people looking at it elsewhere? You know, it, it, uh, it with the masses, it's getting better and better. You have the occasional post, you know, Fargo's no good, and uh, my Fargo's not right, and and uh, then you get the questions like, I didn't even play. How could my Fargo rate change? And and, and it obviously can change because of the people you played, because it's 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 uh. You know, I, I I understand what it is. I have a hard time explaining what Fargo rate is, but it, your 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 uh, rating can change without playing because of the people you played. Maybe they perform very very well in the next matches and everything, and that reflects on how you should have played. You know, and it's 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 getting more and more recognition and and uh, uh, validity. It's so accurate at times; it's just scary. You know, when you take somebody like Mike Page, who's a really sharp boy, and he's the inventor of Fargo Rate, he can goes out and predicts the, uh, like, take the, one of those big terms, like the world's nine ball with a, 128 players or 64 players or however many. And he predicts, and, and sometimes he predicts the top four. <laughs> a lot of time, most of the time, he'll get he'll get the top four out of eight picks. He'll pick these these eight will be in the finish, and out of, out of those eight, four of them are one, two, three, four. There was one tournament, I think it was the, one of those, uh, that Saratoga tournament or something. He picked the four top four in order. Wow. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's scary. But that wasn't a huge, huge tournament. But it's, 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 it's just data, you know. But, but pool's a funny game. Everybody has good days and bad days. And it's, so it's a little more volatile than, say, a lot of other events, you know. You would think, yeah. But it's it's still it's still math and it's still it's very accurate and the more information you have the more accurate accuracy you have. So a lot of people they just don't have enough uh, robustness. That's the term that's used for how many games they have. Because really it's just each it's one game is what you count. Like if you play a race to nine and I beat you nine to eight, that's seventeen games. Right. And and what it's made up of is how many games. Uh, uh, there are so, and you need 200 games to hit some level of predictability, and that's what they call the, the robustness. And the, the, the threshold is 200 games. So that's that's what they call as a uh, you know, um, established. I forgot the word established. See, yeah, you know, get rummy of the unestablished player, and, and you know, and so the first year we did it on our national level, we had a lot of people that were just we were creating numbers for them, and they weren't established, and we had duplicate names. That's just the, 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 the nature of the beast when you're trying to put a lot of people in the system, you know, but we, we're, we're way beyond that. And it's, it's actually quite, quite accurate. Uh, and it's, it's, it prevents people from, uh, you know, uh, so many players would, would they'd sneak in and try to rip off the open players, you know, the smaller, the, the weaker fields and, those days are pretty much gone, at least in our systems they are. I know the our competitors use Fargo rate. They won't admit it. 
<laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were all having, I mean, there was uh, one of the other major leagues. He had a, they had a seven, I, it was either a 727 or a 747. I remember that because it's an airplane. And they won the uh, open division, which was supposed to cap it around 600. Duh. <laughs> That's what <laughs> happened one year. You know, and we all had it happen because there was no method. You know, I mean, how do you know? You have known ability or he's he's a triple A in Saskatoon or something. Well, how did, what's that mean in the scheme of things? You know, because those ABCs don't mean anything because it was a closed circuit. Now it's a. So anyhow, I mean, Fargo, come back in 10 years, and I, I think the whole world will be on it. And it will, you know, it's just, it's just, it just means you're not going to steal. When you start playing, we're going to know who you are and how well you play. You can still gamble. You can still, you know, but you, you, you're not going to steal from somebody, you know. That's all. Which is fair. You shouldn't be stealing. You know? And is that the, I mean, Fargo was was an entity before you got involved with it. Is that why you got involved? I mean, and, and maybe as a follow-up, what is your dream of, of where it'll be in 10 years? Well, Fargo, first of all, the reason it is called Fargo, so that's Mike, Mike, Mike Page and Steve Ernst are the two movers and shakers. They're from Fargo, North Dakota. That's also where he has his Fargo billiards uh, is in Fargo. And he had, for years, he had a game called Fargo. And it was a rotational game. It was just a measuring stick. You'd play, you'd play rotation, and you'd get one point per ball. But at any time during the rack, you could say, "I'm going to run them out in order." Uh, so you, I mean, it was just placed like straight pool. But then when you decide to play them out in order, you got two points a game. And so that was just a measuring stick. That was back in the RSB days, I think. <laughs> um, but. Uh, uh, he was still developing Fargo rate when we got involved. I mean, it was, it was, he was doing it in his room. I think he's got 10 or 12 years of data from his room. And, um, but I see it as, as well, one of the most exciting things that happened and hasn't really got a lot of coverage, but the Western BCA, their last tournament, which was like, I don't know, four five, six weeks ago, and I'm in all honesty, I don't know if it was the eight ball or nine ball, but I believe it was the eight ball. Um, they usually have a, approximately a thousand players. They played genderless, went strictly by Fargo. Men and women did not make any difference. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's interesting. And it, it, it's even more exciting because uh, one of the leagues uh, in Illinois. Um, uh, it was it was ACS. I'm not bad mouthing him, but it's just the ACS in St. Louis. Well, they had a women's division, but and I'm not trying to get in the middle of I, because I know which bathroom I'm supposed to use. But they had two transgender won the women's division. Well, I understand, but I mean this was this has always been an issue, and we just always made the determination we'll go by what your governing agency says, which in most cases. Is your driver's license? You know, okay. that's that's what determines. That's how the BCA did it, and I'm sure that's how the ACS did it. But the rest of the women don't like that. If the driver's license says woman and you used to be a guy, it's perceived to be an advantage, and and it may actually be an advantage. It depends on an individual situation. But with Fargo, we don't care. Right, it goes strictly on your pocketing ability, as it should be. 
pool is one of the very few games that it, it shouldn't it, your gender shouldn't make any difference you know and i'm not sure of how many other games are really that way i mean you know, I mean, some of the top women bowlers can compete with the men, but I don't know if they can compete with the top men. Well, that sounds a lot like pool. Yeah, yeah, but but and and it's true, but 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 now you can use a a a number. You can say, all right, we're going to have a six hundred and under, and a six hundred to seven hundred, and over seven hundred. We don't care what sex you are, as long as you, if that's your ability, that's the category, that's the the the. Uh, the field you play in, you know, so, uh, and, and, as, and in fact, I believe that a couple of women won those genderless divisions up in, uh, at Lincoln city. So that's probably going to be one of the things I think is going to become more and more, uh, prevalent. It, it's a little interesting because so many people look at us as well, you're CSI and you do Fargo and we can't support that. I mean, we're your, we're your competitor, so we can't support Fargo. I think that mentality is going to go away. It needs to. I mean, yeah, we support it because we we, we think a little a little more futuristic than most people in this industry. I think, but it's it's good for the game. It's good for the industry. And and if you're using it, don't sneak around and use it. Just admit you use it because that just gives it more credibility, which helps the game more. I mean, these, these entities that use it but won't admit they use it, that's just, I'm sorry, that's, you know, that's, just, that's pretty cheesy. Yeah, but you and, I, you and I both know that there are a few entities in this game who growing the game is secondary to them growing their influence in the game. Yeah, well, hey, I've been accused of that too, and, and sometimes it's probably been true. But unfortunately, when you do things, it does build your influence, but that's not why you do it. It's, it's an after fact, you know, for instance, I mean, I'm doing all these U S opens, uh, and, and in time that's going to increase our influence, but I'm doing it because this game needs those flagship, uh, uh, events. Um, you know, and even though they're down a little bit right now, but that's all has a lot to do with, um, uh, well, it has a lot to do with a lot of things, but uh, um, when we used to have the uh, U.S. Open ten ball and one pocket at the Riv, sometimes we had we had we had a ninety-six man field one year at the ten ball that was people were saying it was the strongest field they'd ever seen. Yeah, you know, and uh, but travel's getting harder to do. Conflicts. I mean, we've ended up conflicting with the the Chinese and some of these World Opens and that and that. But we're not the guilty party. We set our dates out months and years in advance. And sometimes these world events, the Chinese in particular, they just plop down. They don't care whose dates they're on top of. But the players, you have to understand, they're going to go. They're, they, they're, they're, they're going to go to the most most prestigious event. So I don't know. I, I, that's one thing that pool is lacking is some kind of scheduling mechanism. Well, the tools are all out there. Well, they are, but there's got to be some kind of governing body because, I mean, otherwise, what's going to stop you from saying, all right, I'm going to have a tournament on October 3rd. Well, everybody dances around your dates. Then you just say, oh, I changed my mind. You can't do that. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to put some money up. You've got to put, have some skin in the game. You've got to say, all right, we're going to have a 10000 at a tournament, and we're, we're posting $1,000 with this scheduling 
you know, czar or whoever, whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and you forfeit it if you don't perform because there's, unfortunately there's only 52 weeks in the year. And of those, I don't know what, only 46 are valid. The rest are holidays or something, you know? Right. And, uh, it's, it's just, it's a problem. So, but I, I really think Fargo is going to be instrumental in unifying the game and get, getting it for some credibility. And, and I mean, there's always going to be competitive juices and different thoughts, and philosophies, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, the main reason I wanted to talk today was uh, the U.S. Open One Pocket and the U.S. Open Bank Pool. Um, just had those Correct. events. How did those go? Well, all in all, they went uh, they went okay. We were a little well. It was kind of odd. We announced our dates in September first, or on September first. But then in January, uh, and they did not do it intentionally. I want to make that perfectly clear. I talked to Jeff Sullivan. Uh, from, uh, I can't remember the name of the room, but the, it was the Scotty Townsend Memorial. And, you know, that's, I'm not familiar with that, but I understand. I, I, did, I looked it up. I think they have, I think it said 14 bar tables. It never said how many nine-footers they had. They had to be a couple of them because they had one pocket. And then the bar table, they had 128-man field, uh, nine ball. But they scheduled on top of us. Uh, but they're 3,000 miles away. But... Uh, with the one pocket, it, it did weaken the field. And one pocket banks kind of go hand in hand when you're playing them on nine foot tables. So, I mean, so, so it, it did have an effect. We ended up with 20 people in the banks and we ended up with 29 in the one pocket. We were limited to 48 players. I'm not making, I'm not going for huge fields and limiting them to 48. And, uh, but we had some, some pretty good players. We ended up, I mean, we had uh, Shane Van Boning, we had uh, uh, Kiamko, Alcano, D. Adkins, uh, uh, Bob Hershick is a local guy who plays pretty damn good. Yeah, he does. Uh, Paul Marquez. You know, there's some of these guys are they're not uh, household names, but they can spank you. You know, so the competition was great. I mean, it was uh, we had we did streaming, we did a free stream, we had we broke three thousand on several occasions, which to me is a big number for a viewership. Uh, it is. It was. Uh, it was done on uh, uh, Facebook Live, so I think that makes it a little easier to get more numbers. Yeah. But, um, and we're going to do it again, and again, and again, and again. So here, here's what, what I've decided is now that I have a venue that I can control, because that's half the battle of doing events is scheduling it. Well, now I can say I can do them when I want to do them. So we're going to be steady, saying uh, next month or two, we're going to be putting out a press release that's going to pretty much lay out the dates for all five U.S. Opens that I do, which is U.S. Open Banks, One Pocket, Eight Ball, Ten Ball, Straight Pool. We're bringing back the Straight Pool. We're going to bring it to here to Vegas. And we're also going to bring the Swanee, Jay Swanson Memorial here. So I'm going to lay out the dates through 2025. The reason I say through 2025, because uh, we have those dates uh, confirmed with the Rio for our, uh, uh, CSI national event was well, now it's called BCA pool league world championships. And this way everybody can be aware of them way in advance and which hopefully people will not get on top of other people's dates. You know? So I don't know. Your calendar will get pretty full. <laughs> I hope so. Um, with all of the, 
the events that you're talking about and the Swanee and, and all the U.S. Opens and then with Matchroom moving the U.S. Open nine ball to Vegas. Vegas is going to be pool central. Yeah, there was a time when all the pros lived there. Maybe that'll happen again. Mm-hmm. No, we see it coming. I, and you got the Raiders coming, and you got now we got hockey, and and don't be surprised if there's a basketball team in the not too distant future. I mean, so yeah, I I think I think Vegas is going to be pool central. I really do. You know, I mean, we've got uh, one, two. Let's see, uh, one, two, three. Four. Four good-sized rooms and some half, half, you know, other rooms, but you know, or five. There one new one opened up. I'm not familiar with them, but uh, you know, they're they're not as nice. As, we don't have the pool population or the support that Arizona does. Phoenix does. I mean, I think Phoenix is the strongest pool city in the world or in the U.S. It's it's just almost unbelievable, you know, because you've got four rooms down there, or something with over thirty tables and. And they all keep the tables decent, and and uh, and they work together, and it's really kind of cool, you know. It, we are pretty blessed out here. I mean, yeah, yeah, you I, are. I haven't seen uh, the pool scene as deeply in other cities, but I mean, I can't imagine anybody's got anything better than what Arizona's got going. I, I well, I we hear about things, and isn't that? And I mean, there's the Midwest has still got some good things and everything, but. As far as a, as a day in day out city, no, I don't think anybody comes comes close to Phoenix. So then that's good. Oh yeah, I love it. I, uh, the only thing that it seems to we that we have missing is some of the events like the Scotty Townsend Memorial event you had talked about, where there's you know you bring in all the top players. You know, for local players, it's great, but you know, there's very little influx of of top talent. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason they go to these, the Scotty Townsend and some of these Beloit and all those other ones they do so well is because of the Calcutta. And even there were some comments made on a couple of threads. Well, you know, the players will be down there because the prize fund is so big. No, the prize fund wasn't all that big. I mean, they added 5,000 to their one pocket. We added 5,000 to our one pocket. You know, uh, you know they, they limited theirs to 16. We had 29. Our entry fee was... 350 theirs was a thousand i mean it's just different style i don't want a thousand dollar entry fee in the one pocket i want people of let's say bob hershey's ability to, to play in it i don't think he'll play at a thousand dollar toss you know a lot of people just won't play that they won't pay that kind of money so so i i just think that uh, uh um there's so much future in pool but it's hard to get the the known names, the, all the Filipinos and everybody to come to Vegas. It seems to be off the beaten path a little bit. You know, where Louisiana is known for their huge Calcuttas and this is and that. So the players see it differently than, than the backers and everything like that. But their Calcutta down there was, I'm going to guess, it was pushing 170, 170, 180,000 total between the two or three events. You know, that's pretty big money. And then, and then they have two, they have, you know, but, but that's, don't confuse that with a tournament because it's not a tournament, you know, it's side action. So, but, uh, I don't know, but anyhow, uh, uh, I'm hopefully we can avoid those kind of conflicts. There's not that many one pocket tournaments. Alan Hopkins does not have the one pocket in conjunction with the super billiards expo anymore. Um, um, Oscar uh, Dominguez has moved to Las Vegas and he basically said, 
you know, uh, West Coast, you know, California and L.A. And that is just there's nothing going. It's tough. There's not many, very many events anymore. You got Chris Schwartz up in uh, Fremont, outside of San Francisco area. It's uh, shaking a few things up, but uh, and he always runs a good event. But uh, you know, he's you know, hard times uh, in Sacramento still relatively active. Sacramento hard time, or excuse me, hard times in L.A. is not. There's not really any major rooms in in uh, uh, San Diego anymore. You've got on cue. The only event they did, they did. You know, you got the Mez Tour, a couple of events, but, you know, um, and, and none of them do Calcutta's. And so it's just a different mindset. So I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Calcutta's. We are going to start doing them, but I'm not a big fan of them. I just think it distorts the things too much. But Well, I mean, we can't do them here. But you guys do side pots, yeah, yeah. Right, right. But it's still not the same, you know. Uh, a side pot. You're right. You know, the player is gambling on themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. A Calcutta, you know, you you could have a stable of a half a dozen or even a dozen players at a big event, and and you you never hit a ball. Yep, yep. And I'm I'm not sure why the uh, the legality of why Arizona says it's illegal and, and and other places don't. It's just different jurisdictions, you know. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, There are people who feel that what's holding pool back is the mentality of the gambling. But then you look at, you know, you're talking about how it's the Calcutta that that makes those events strong. You know, I'm sure you've heard Jerry say it as many times as I have. He says, just embrace the gambling. Stop trying to fight it. Oh, I agree. You know, you let them let it seek its own level. I mean, you, you don't have to have two hundred thousand dollar Calcutta. You can have a twenty thousand dollar Calcutta. You know, my beef with the Calcutta is if I'm in a tournament and I it's a hundred dollar tournament, and all of a sudden I get in the Calcutta and people run me up to where six hundred dollars. Now, if I want to buy half myself, now I pay have to pay three hundred. Now it's a four hundred dollar tournament. That's not what I wanted. I wanted to play in a one hundred dollar tournament. You know, it's it's and it's, it gets to be a saving face thing and all kinds of things. Pretty soon, people are they're getting involved with their rent money. It's just a bad deal. You know, I mean, I'm not sure. And and you know, I mean, it's 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 for the spectators, which um, and or the facility if it's in a bar and, and more people and more drink and more food. And, but um, I, I I just have mixed feeling on it. So. But you say you're going to start doing them with the U.S. Open events, or or just yes, yeah, no, I am. Well, because there's 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 a couple of places here that have been scrutinized by the gaming. We take absolutely zero percent, one hundred percent is paid back. We take nothing, you know, and we don't purchase anybody. The house does not get involved at all. Sometimes I'll bid on them. I will say, hey, I'm. I'm I mean, I'll, I'll bid 200, and says, but I don't want him, but I, this is moving too slow. And when I did the auction, I did them at the, at the uh, uh, one pocket in the banks. I blew through them. Actually, we didn't do it in the banks. I'm sorry. The first one we did was at one pocket. I went through 29 players in about 15 minutes. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and just wait 10 minutes on one guy. Because if you get to a 128-player field, who wants a six-hour Calcutta? You know, it just... 
you know, and I, I did plenty of cow cutters up in Alaska. So, and we never, ever, ever, ever took a dime. That's rare for the house not to, uh, to bid on players. I know I've seen it happen and, and I just think it's a terrible idea, but some people just don't get how poorly that can be viewed. You have to stay weak because if there's a, if there's a, a call, a ref call, who's going to be calling it? Me or, or, Hey, if I'm busy, I get somebody else that's a known player or something, you know, it's, and, and it's, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want any perception of favoritism. None. Right. So I don't know, but, but as far as the, the events, I thought the events went, I thought it was a great foundation for bringing him to Vegas and every player that was here loved it. And they think they'll all be back. I expect next year to be uh, get feel pretty close to that forty eight man field limit, particularly if 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 the Townsend one isn't going on, we you know we probably get a bunch of those guys. Oh know. sure, and and you haven't gotten any pushback from holding them in the room. I know when you when you first moved them not to your room but uh, to a pool room, I there was some pushback from some of the players. Well, I I don't know what to do about it. They, they they don't happen if they have to be outside of the room. The costs of setting up and tearing down, and now you got to spend all your time negotiating with the hotels and this and that. They just won't happen. So right. you know we've got it's a very nice room. It's very comfortable. Um, that's why we're not trying to get a hundred twenty eight man field or whatever. It's forty eight people, and uh, be, there'll be a two to three day events depending upon how many. And they were. Races to four. Uh, on the banks, we did four and four. Uh, the one pocket, we did four and three. Finals were a race to five. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it was fine. There wasn't huge crowds. So, I mean, financially, we took a hit because, you know, but, but it, was, it was good for the game. It was good for the prestige of the room. You know, and it was, uh, so I, I think it was, I, I put it way down as way more wins than losses. Good. Yeah, I mean, we're doing them again. I mean, we're going to do them again. That's why I'm, I'm not. That's why I say I'm bringing out the straight four here. I'm going to have them all in one house. It makes it saves me thousands of dollars to do them here. You don't have to fly anybody across country for streaming. We don't have to drag equipment all over the place. We don't have to make sure the equipment's right. And it's just you know. And in all honesty, I was shocked, but we we held uh, for two years. We did the straight pool. And one of those years, we did the one pocket at uh, Windsor Bluffs in Connecticut, Mark Collinson's room, pool table magic, a mm-hmm. very nice room, real nice high ceilings, a lot of space between the tables, gold crowns. We expected to get up to be busy. We expected a lot of players. One of them followed. So we did the Alan Hopkins show. Two days later, you had Darren Appleton's event at uh, Steinway Billiards. They're only a hundred miles apart or so. And then a day after that finished, we started the straight pool and we're, we were about an hour and a half from Steinway to Mark Collinson's room. We ended up with 21 players. Really? And half of them, we had people coming from Florida and everywhere else. I think we only had like five of them come from that had played in, 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 in Appleton's event. So he had, he had a 90 players or whatever it was, and they were a hundred miles away and only five of them could figure out how to play straight pool. So everybody says, oh, you got to have straight pool on the East Coast. Obviously, uh, we tried it twice and it didn't work. So I'm not going to worry about it. They can come to us if they want to play. And with the fact that we can control the room, control the venue, control the dates, be a little more flexible. 
We've got great food. We have some flexibility on things like that. We're going to be able to do some qualifiers or we'll, or we'll be a little easier to do for qualifiers because we, we, we have all the moving parts here in our office. So I think, you know, it'll, we'll, we'll get it to where, again, not, not huge. The old, old U.S. Open used to be 32 players, you know, back in the, in its heyday. So. Right. We haven't, uh, we haven't talked about it in a while. How's, uh, how's it feel being back in the pool room running business? <laughs> I must. I, I have a very thick skull. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, but man, there's just so many layers of bureaucracy and government and this and that and them. It's just you can't run a business anymore. You got to be a specialist in 97 disciplines. It, you know, I, I mean, um, not to get too far into politics, but when Trump comes out and says, "I'm going to get rid of a bunch of regulations." Man, I agree with that one. I mean, it's just—it's just crazy, you know. Every time you turn around, somebody wants more of this or more of that. It's—it's uh, it's bizarre. But I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I enjoy it. It's—it's it's a very nice room. It, it's possibly the nicest room in the country. It's a year and a half old, still clean. The bathrooms are spotless. No smoking. Food's still good. You know, so. Just trying to make a statement for how pool's supposed to be. So. And you, when you talk about the bureaucracy, is that tougher to deal with than the players? <laughs> that's a good. That is, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> um, maybe they're all going to all the pool players are going to grow up to be bureaucrats, and they're they're bureaucrats in training. I don't know. It's um, it's just a different level. You know, if the player gets out of line, you just kick him out. Can't do that with a with a health department or a, a ABC guy or a building department or those guys. They just they just make your life miserable at times. I mean, I understand the concept is to have a quality, safe environment for, but sometimes it gets it gets crazy. A prime example is we have a application in for slot machines, video poker. Mm-hmm. They actually installed the machines. Today's Thursday, right? They installed them three weeks ago today. We are waiting for a piece of paper so they can turn them on. One piece of paper. We've been through the gaming commission. We've been through the gaming board. We've been through the fire marshals. Everything. And we're waiting for the county to stamp this one piece of paper. Three weeks. You know, you had to deal with that sort of thing running the BCA Nationals. I mean, not the exact oh, yeah. same thing. but Oh, I, it's, it's, it's no matter what you do. You can have a hot dog stand. You're going to deal with it. It's just life. I don't expect them to change for me. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's too cumbersome, you know, but, uh, I don't know. And, and we haven't had any real player issues at our room. The place is very nice. We've had a lot of players through there, a lot of action, no arguments, no fights. Um, you know, it's, it's no screaming, no, no, no excessive bad language. And That's so it's, rare. it's, uh, yeah, it just, we won't tolerate it. You know, and definitely no smoking, you know, so, I mean, it would be a place where your mom could go to, really. She could come there at three in the morning and she'd be, she'll be perfectly safe. So That's quite a statement. It is. Oh, I'm just saying it's, it's just, uh, uh, I enjoy being around the pool halls. I can't play anymore because I had a, an eye injury. 
and which is really kind of frustrating because, but, but I, I enjoyed being around the game and, and, and what I, what I really had a, a tickle about was uh, when we were streaming the banks in the one pocket, we got up to 1900 people watching banks and, and some of the comments were just hilarious. They'd say, Boy, these guys are no good at all. I just bang them around the bars. I can beat these guys and blah, blah, blah. And about 10 minutes later, the guy says, oh, they're playing. They got to bank everything. We taught and we educated. I know a thousand people what banks is. And the, and the, the, the people in the chat that were knowledgeable, they'd educated. It was awesome. You had all these people say, man, I got to go try this. It looks like fun. Blah, blah, blah. And the same thing with one pocket. So as an educational tool, I thought it was pretty neat, you know. So it, it all happens. It's all good. Yeah. Coming along slowly. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen. I mean, we're going to have all the, I mean, Vegas is, I, I really think it is going to become a hot spot because we're going to have the, you know, the, 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 the also, there'll be six U S opens in town here. The major one, obviously is the new U uh, S open nine ball. With right. Being involved. $300,000 prize one. That's pretty, it's pretty exciting. I'm guessing I'm, I'm hearing it's going to be 256 players and I'm guessing it's going to be a thousand dollars a player. So most of the money is there's, there's most of the money. I don't know how much money they'll be adding and I might be all wet. You know, I'm just kind of guessing at that stuff. You know, the, the thing with, with Barry taking over the U S open is, um, his enthusiasm, you know, he just, he believes in pool and, and, you know, sometimes I wonder if, if the powers that be here in the States just don't believe in it as much anymore. I mean, I know you do. And, but that's, it, that seems to be rare to me. I, I totally agree. And I'm not going to really throw darts here too far, but I mean, I have, I have a real issue with the billiard Congress of America and just their direction. They're not doing anything for the pool players. It's all trade show, trade show. Uh, I mean, we we're, we really wish they'd endorse or embrace Fargo a little bit and use that as a a system for determining which American players go to the WPA World Championships. Because I still support the the structure, you know. Uh, we can't even really get them to embrace Fargo. And see, if you really had it something like that, now a person could see, hey, I might be able to go to the Worlds. And sometimes the people who go to the Worlds from the U.S. or in the they're not even the top 20 players because the, the first dozen, they, they may not want to go. But if, if we structure it right, Fargo could help maybe uh, create the money to send them. It's, it, there's so many things that they could do. They just, I don't, I don't understand it. I've just, I'm not really interested in going and twisting their arm and begging them. I mean, they're all adults. They know what they're doing. Well, I mean, I'm not so sure they know what they're doing, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to change what they're I'm, I'm not going to change their, 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 the way they function. You know, remember, I'm the only one that's ever been thrown off the board. <laughs> and and you, you're proud of that. Well, I tried to run twice and they wouldn't even let me run again. I mean, that just, that's, that's, that just shows their, the narrow mindedness. You know, I still am friends with them and, you know, talk and help them and stuff. But I, I, I really think that some of the board members have just got their heads screwed on sideways. Well, they have a different set of priorities. That's right. They're missing the point. They're, it's, it's, you know, if you don't have players, you don't forget. You won't need to sell too many pool tables. Mark, I'm not going to take up any more of your time today. I know you're a busy, busy man. Not as busy as I used to be. 
One thing we didn't get into, and I don't want to get into it too far because there'll be a lot more stuff coming out, but we are going to be putting out some press releases about changing our dates for the next, uh, well, we're going to have the dates through 2025. Oh, for the Nationals? The Nationals. We're moving our Nationals to, uh, well, they're going to settle in being uh, between uh, uh, mid-February to early March. It's going to take a couple of years to get there, so it's going to be bouncing around a little bit, but they're all going to be in... uh, in um, this year's July, 2019 is July, and then uh, 2020 and 2021 uh, are going to be like mid March. And what are you hoping to? Well, this is it's, this accomplishes a lot, and once we get it stabilized, and this is the best we could do. Well, number one, when we moved to July after the May when the Riviera went away, because we, we there's not that many places that can really fit us. Um, um, we lost a lot of the northern states, we'll call them, you know, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Alaska, Canada, some of the Canadian provinces and stuff. Because in July, they want to go fishing and hunting. They don't want to come to 110 degree weather in Vegas. They'd love to come down here in 75 degree weather. You know, so it's it's a lot less uh, cumbersome to convince them. So, you know, and it, it, it allows us to do a lot of things, but one of the major events is the, is the weather conditions. Um, it allows us to convert our league year to an annual year rather than this uh, uh, June 1st to May 31st thing. And just, there's a lot of things. There's going to be a lot of stuff coming down, but this is, this is a, a move to stabilize everything and make it better for the future down, you know, for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Marazzi's, I don't know, what is he, like 40 years old or something like that. So, you know, he's got another 40 years to run this beast. So, you know, <laughs> we got we got to build things for the long haul. You know? I take it he's not in the room with you anymore? No, actually he is. He's, I don't know, he's, but he's not, he's, he's not listening. I, I think he's trying to work. Somebody has to. We've actually got a pretty good staff here, you know. And I mean, Mary works here. She won the Doc Hill this year at the at the Rum Runner. I saw you that. Know? Yeah, played pretty good. So, uh, you know, so we're we're uh, yeah. Everybody's a champion except me. Can you believe that? <laughs> My ex-wife was a national champion, you know, and and Mary's a VNEA national champion, and I think I won I won one tournament in Alaska once. <laughs> one tournament once i've won more than that yeah well yeah well that's okay yeah <laughs> all right well mark i will talk to you uh soon you say we've got some pr to look forward to yes yeah well this whole thing with the date changes is going to be pretty uh uh it's going to have a large impact on a lot of people so we want to really really keep people informed because we want to we're not trying to move on anybody we're trying to make everything better you know for everybody so so yeah uh and and we'll, we'll be in touch and anytime you have a question you give me a holler or any anytime anybody has a question they, all you have to do is contact our office all right sounds good excellent sir thank you all right mark i'll talk to you later all right yeah thanks okay. bye Okay, that was Mark Griffin telling us about some changes coming up. Sounds like Las Vegas is is really going to become a a hotbed of pool again. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with that. It's a pretty quick drive for me. That's about all I've got this week. Um, Probably very good chance I will not have a show next week. 
I've got some things working that I think are going to keep me from being able to do one. But not to worry, I will be back the week after that, and we will have another show for you. Thanks, everybody. 